0: Welcome to the Lean Blog podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben from The Lean Blog. This is episode number 13 of the podcast. It is December 17th, 2006. This is part 2 of our discussion with Jim Womack. I'm talking about the state of lean in China. Um, This week we'll talk about more just general manufacturing and business issues related to um, competing with China, doing business in China, um, considering doing manufacturing in China, either for export or the domestic market. Um, If you have any comments or feedback about the podcast, you can contact me through our website, leanblog.org or leanpodcast.org. Thanks for listening. We talk about you know, whether it's state owned businesses or, or companies that are trying to be a little more market driven. Um, do, do you get a sense of you know as companies are adopting again you know what you might call Western management practices, is there uh you know kind of a real fanatical short-term focus or you know for whatever reason or, or another are, are some of the Chinese companies um, being able to take more of a long view? sense of, of some of their decisions and, and priorities?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. The, uh, the long view of the state industries is they've got to stop being state industries.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that, uh, again, uh, totally unknown to uh, you know, Americans, there's been a tremendous amount of job cutting in the state industries. And when a cu- job gets cut, you lose everything. Yeah. You, know, you lose your health plan, you lose your education, you lose your housing. Uh, last year, I was talking to the chairman of uh, one of the mid-sized state industries. He only had 400,000 employees, and, <laughs> and I thought he was hardly anything.
0: Wow!
1: And uh, I asked him what he'd been doing, and he said, "I'm getting rid of the school, getting rid of the hospitals, getting rid of the, you know, the, the what they call the iron rice bowl, um, and I'm getting rid of headcount uh, as fast as I can." So here you have uh, somebody whose uh, actual focus is just on getting rid of people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. And in the old days, uh, that was the exact opposite <sighs> of what right. any manager would think about doing because you were actually rewarded uh, for finding something, anything, for people to do. Yeah. So now we get the whole system running backwards. And what that means, though, is, is that um, you know, looking at the long term, well, that comes after you get through the downsizing and the deintegration. And by the way this guy had been making many many of his own parts, and all of that of course, is now being sold off, outsourced uh, and so forth, the same sort of thing that's gone around uh, gone along in the western uh, countries over the last thirty four years, so that he was uh, furiously uh, just trying to get to what he viewed as a minimum competitive uh, condition mm-hmm. in which his company uh sort of looked like um, uh, you know what should we call it a modern mass producer yeah. So that was his idea of the long term was I've got maybe two years to get from where I am to being a a modern mass producer. And uh, while this fellow had read a few books and had heard about obviously about Toyota, mm-hmm. he was not in the automotive industry, but you know that was really not uh, he, you know on his radar. Exactly. He, he was just trying to deal with how you get from the state controlled uh, job generating mindset to something that's sort of a market mindset. And the perception was we got to go fast because our uh, state funding is getting cut and, and so forth, and, and that's what we got to do. Sure. Flip it around, and you say, "Well, what about the multinational types that are coming in? You know, are they building for the long term?" And the answer is, "Well, the smart ones are, and they're also building for the domestic market." but you know there's an awful lot of uh, gosh let's put a plant in there and just see how it goes and if it works uh, we'll build another one and if it doesn't well we're off to vietnam mm-hmm. um so that uh, would you think that uh, you know the bulk probably of forward uh, direct inward investment is long term oriented and the answer is, sure some of it is but uh, much of it is just exploratory and uh, the look the, the sense i think you'd find in most people who are investing is that you don't know how stable the country is. You don't know how stable the currency is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that anyone coming in with a 50-year plan, uh, I think, really has to be deeply focused on the domestic market. If you're coming in just as an exporter, uh, well, then, uh, hey, you know, all kinds of things can happen. And an awful lot of of this um, Mm -hmm. labor-intensive, you know, just kind of light assembly kind of stuff, uh, all you need is a slab and a roof and uh, some machines that can be put in a truck. And so, you know, if it works out here, great. If it doesn't, well, you know, we're off to Vietnam. Yeah. So that uh, those folks planning for the long term, well, I don't think so.
0: And you used a phrase, iron rice bowl. What, what do you yeah. mean, or is that a common phrase? That That's a use? common
1: phrase. It's yeah. just uh, your job, uh, which is to say your source of income, which is to say your source of food, Mm -hmm. Uh, came with, uh, good and bad. That it came with housing. It came with education. It came with medical care, such as it was. Mm -hmm. It all came as a package. Because the key to the social control mechanism was the workplace. So that you had a, you know, your, your papers that said you worked at, uh, you know, widget factory number nine. Yeah. And everything came with that. And by the way, uh, if you're working at widget factory number nine, and at least they do have a school and they do have a hospital and they do have housing, Uh, the last thing you want to do is get anybody upset with you at widget factory Mm, number nine. So it is, uh, you know, sort of the ultimate in social control. And that now is, uh, as I say, is really uh, basically being turned upside down.
0: Right. And, you know,
1: Americans, I think, just don't have, you know, most outsiders, any grasp about just how much dislocation uh, is going on in people's lives uh, in China that all, again, Americans and Europeans tend to see is these people who work for very low wages and end of discussion. Well, you know, they're people, too. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, their mm-hmm. lives have really been turned upside down in the last 20 years. And, uh, gosh, you know, they are just hundreds of millions of people who have moved from uh, rural uh, villages that the family may have been in for centuries uh, into, uh, gl- you know, vast, vast, vast uh, collections of strangers uh, down on the coast. So it's very, uh, you know, it's... Yeah. There's an awful lot going on there.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you, you hear stories of... Um... People and, and oftentimes it's women um, coming from the, the inland rural towns to the factory towns, and, and you talk mm-hmm. about you know the housing and, and everything is self-contained. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know you, you, there was a report. I mean, I think one example it was a London paper. I, I think it was probably somewhat sensationalized and, and maybe mm-hmm. overblown, but talking about what they described as you know sweatshop conditions um, mm-hmm. at the iPod factory. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. may mm-hmm. be listening to this on an iPod right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and you know there were concerns about you know um, people being forced. Forced to work really long hours and and, and yeah. not quite calling it a prison, but you know if that conditions weren't good for people. Did, did you? I mean, what, what do you see in your travels over there?
1: Uh, well, first off, the plants that are directly run by the multinationals, um, and particularly the Western multinationals, in my experience, are very clean, very safe, um, very everything right. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. and that's partly because they don't know how to run a sweatshop. You know, go to a manager <laughs> from Bosch or from Delphi or yeah. from um, Aish and Seiki, and tell them, okay, we want you to go to China and run a sweatshop, and literally you wouldn't know how to do it. Right. You mean take all of the protection off the machinery? You mean you know? You mean throw away the mop, don't clean the floor? You mean turn the heat up in the summer and down in the winter? Let me, let me see if I got this straight. Um, so therefore uh, what you see uh in terms of abusive uh, conditions the worst are independent chinese owned uh operations mm-hmm. okay And then uh, you have a lot of contractor stuff because the iPod thing, I don't know a thing about it, but the point is that's some local contractor.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's Foxconn, which is a a very large Chinese contract manufacturer. So,
1: therefore, the uh, folks who are Mm -hmm. making stuff for multinationals but are not actually directly under control of multinationals uh, obviously are tempted uh, to cut corners. Now, the thing I always find sad about the corner cutting is that it doesn't actually save you any money because there's always a quality uh, implication of trying to get people to work too hard in unsafe conditions. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. really, how are you going to make quality product? And the answer is you can't. Yeah. And so, therefore, it's uh, kind of pathetic uh, what I put in the category of stupid meanness, uh, in which uh, by virtue of being uh, mean to your employees for the long term, those managers are just undercutting their own business.
0: Oh, sure.
1: And uh, yet in the short term, uh, there is uh, if the customer is actually not quality sensitive and um, – you can get away with it. Well, in the in the very short term, you just don't know any better. Uh, you can see that it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I was just, uh, when I was over uh, walking through the pencil factory, I um, was just kind of staggered at the, uh, for example, they were varnishing uh, pencils and just big open vats of varnish with mm. a dip rail running through. So that I thought if I had gotten out a lighter or match, don't smoke, but I thought I could have blown the whole thing away. And here are people standing here hour after hour. Well, I mean, how stupid. Half the varnish, which is probably the most expensive thing in the whole operation, is evaporating. You're just looking at them and saying, good Lord, what kind of you know doorknobs are you guys, which is what I told them. Um, So again, I just see a lot of stupid meanness, and uh, that's not right and uh i have uh, you know sympathy with anybody who uh, on this side of the ocean wants to uh, make a um, a campaign for saying we ought to have safe work practices everywhere we ought to but i think the uh you know just to be cynical about it for a minute uh, there is this notion that if we were to enforce safe work practices uh the cost would go up uh and my view uh is that in fact uh, if you enforce safe work practices uh that Likely, cost wouldn't change at all, and it might go down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Again, just a final observation of the pencil factory, that almost all of these, these were machines that were making pencils, but there were an awful lot of people in there, and almost all of them were either doing material movement, which you can understand has to be done, mm-hmm. or they were doing sorting, and uh, uh, basically <laughs> just pulling out the good from the bad. Yeah. I mean, th- there were probably a 1,000 people in this factory who spent the whole day looking, in sorting, and of course the capability of their sort process was, uh, you know, just uh, sort of zero sigma. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. The thing goes flying by. Who knows whether you catch it or not? Yeah. So I thought, gee, what a what a sad thing that uh, if you uh, actually just had some minimum quality um, uh, processes in here, you would actually cut a lot of cost out. And uh, so therefore, it's, I think it's a bit naive to think that uh, if we basically made every factory in the world safe and clean that it would uh, affect uh, this, uh, you know, tidal wave of cheap goods that have come into the advanced countries.
0: Right. And if anything, it sounds like you know, you've got to convince uh, people that, that maybe are running unsafe factories uh, in China that it's in their own economic interest to, to, try yeah. to turn that around. If you, know, if, yeah. if you believe quality is free, uh, yeah. I guess you yeah, look, know, hope yeah, safety that's right. is Quality's free.
1: Quality is free. Mm-hmm. Uh, safety ought to be free um, It's uh, if, you, if you know what you're doing. And it's just look. I mean, look. I, I look at this stuff, and first it just makes me very angry. And then I talk to the managers, and you know, these are people like me. They're not. They're not evil ogres. Uh, they really don't know any better. They're quite insensitive. And what they tell you is, oh, this is better than the factory I used to work in. <laughs> sure. And you think, God, oh, I don't want to go to that one. So uh, there you have it. By the way, the, the aside on that uh, something that is going to uh, slow down the train a little bit is that the environmental conditions specifically with regard to air quality, but also water. Uh, You know, they're running in the north, running out of water, because they've just been uh, tapping into the aquifer underneath to run the agricultural system, and the water level's just dropping steadily. Mm -hmm. And then everywhere on the coast, the pollution is uh, at a level that uh, people in Europe and the States and Japan just can't imagine. Mm. Uh, It just really uh, like you can't see across the street on a day when the cold smoke uh, descends. And so they're going to have to spend uh, some money on that. There was a recent uh, report by the environmental ministry uh, saying that of the 10% uh, GNP growth that they have every year, uh, their belief was that 3% of that is for health care and aid to agriculture uh, that deals with the other 7%. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, and look, everybody now understands that. You uh, see it uh, everywhere uh, in the media that uh, there is this realization that the free ride is sort of over where they could uh, go in and uh, have no emission controls and just uh, let a rip and where the solution to pollution was dilution, Mm -hmm. uh, and and that doesn't work anymore. So that's another dimension where, you know, the the, the air quality is so bad that your kids aren't going to grow properly. And when you get to that point, Mm -hmm. well, almost anybody says, gee, uh, wait a minute, let's stop and think about this. And so, you know, over the next uh, 10 years, they're going to have to spend a lot of money. And it probably really starts with the Olympics in 08, that uh, they've pledged to make uh, Beijing uh, Mm. smog-free for the Olympics. And, okay, you just send everybody out of town and don't let anybody (laughs) do anything but walk, uh, and you could get away with that for three weeks. But the truth is uh, they've got to go put scrubbers on the power plants, and they've got to uh, make sure that people aren't uh, taking emission controls off cars and selling them for the precious metals and so forth, uh, and yeah. so that's suddenly going to be a big uh, a big thing. And look, it's all advanced economies uh, have started uh, the way China started. You know, that uh, the original uh, thing was the, the uh, satanic mills of England, the Midlands, uh, where initially it's just pretty awful, it's dangerous, it's dirty, there's pollution. And then over time, uh, as people get rather more toward a middle-class standard, they say, mm-hmm. gee, there's more to life than breathing this crud. Yeah, and maybe. then uh, you have to go spend a lot of money on social things that uh, they've not done. By the way, the other thing about China is that uh, I think now there's growing awareness of it, but because of the one-child policy, uh, they're facing a demographic curve that's just like the one that we have with the boomers in the states in which you're going to end up with a, a retired generation that's actually much larger than the working generation. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, of course, in Japan and in Europe and the States. But uh, we think of China as this young, exuberant country, uh, whereas, in fact, uh, they've done all of us a favor. You might not approve of the methods, but they've done all the rest of us a favor by really, really putting the clamp uh, on population growth. Right. Uh, but there is a one-time transitional problem that goes with that. And so you look at the environmental problems they're facing, and you look at the demographic situation, and uh, you can see why they have uh, sort of wanted to pull all the stops out and just see how far they could get uh, on this course, uh, before changing course, because it's going to be uh, mean they're going to have to grow a lot slower. Mm-hmm. And then that gets them very, very scared about, so, uh, so, excuse me, social stability. Right. Uh, all those folks out in the country are living worse than the folks in town or they wouldn't be coming to town. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you want to talk about dangerous factories, uh, go out and look out uh, how people are living on the farm. And uh, it's it's not a very nice place.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any, uh, maybe as, as some final thoughts? You know, you've talked to, to people before, um, you know, sent out the emails, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the phrase, you know, doing the lean math comes mm-hmm. to mind yeah, as far yeah. as, you know, people are considering um, outsourcing to China. Is, is that math shifting at all, or, you know, do you have pretty much the same advice? Well, no,
1: it? I would put uh, – this is like TSA and the threat level. Um, I would say that uh, anybody at this point who's going to China, purely for the purpose of exporting back uh, to the U.S. or Europe, uh, really ought to do – uh, some careful analysis of the risk factors. And they're, you know, they're really uh, obvious risk factors that you've got country stability. And just for the moment, uh, despite all of the protests, there's an enormous amount of uh, just below the radar protests going on mm. of all kinds of uh, shenanigans uh, being done by crooked local officials and so on. But uh, China itself is probably fairly stable as a country for a while. But when you say how stable is the currency, that's both ours and theirs, well, we're getting ever closer to the day of reckoning uh, on that. And then you say how uh, stable, particularly if you're going to do it through suppliers, how stable do you think those suppliers are, both with regard to they're going to be in business when you need them and with regard to the fact that they're going to go into business against you. Now, look, anybody can reverse engineer. They don't have to be working for you to reverse engineer. They just buy your product and reverse engineer it. But the fact is you are helping them along. Uh, so, But, you know, you're going you're gonna to reduce their time to market uh, if they have a direct first-hand experience of making your product. So it just seems to me that the risk factors have gone up. And so if I were thinking right now about uh, moving operations from uh, Europe to U.S., uh, Japan to China for export, entirely for export back to these markets, I would say, gee, maybe that train's already left the station. Uh, if, on the other hand, you are trying to run a global business and you reckon you want a substantial presence in the Chinese market, mm-hmm. well, then it seems to me uh, you probably ought to think about going to China. So I would say uh, the math has shifted further in the direction of think three times uh, before you really do this. Uh, and, of course, uh, I'm well known for saying for North America, what's wrong with Mexico? If you really mm-hmm. can't fix your business and you just aren't cost competitive, well, I guess you've got to do something but, uh, gosh, Mexico is a truck location as opposed to a boat location or air freight, yeah. mm-hmm. and ditto for Eastern Europe, Western Europe, uh, just kind of baffled yeah. as to why people would go all the way to the other side of the world when you can get uh, 90% just of the uh, on-the-face-of-it uh, benefit uh, from going south rather than going east, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, or, in, in Europe's case, uh, going uh, east rather than going far east. And so I, I just uh, continued to scratch my head, at what appears to me to be pretty daffy analysis mm-hmm. uh, by most people uh, who are making these kinds of decisions.
0: yeah, well, i'm I'm, and, I'm tempted to ask then, um, you know there there was there were some reports in the news that uh, General Motors was considering actually building some cars in China for export. Sure. Uh, back to the U.S., and, and I yeah. think the guy that used to run Yugo is, is talking about importing cars. Yeah. I mean, do, yeah. does that, is that Daffy, or is that a step of, you know, is that a kind of a precursor to where, you know, a, a Chinese automaker might pull a Toyota, if you will, and, mm-hmm. and set up, you know, develop mm-hmm. a brand and set up shop here in the U.S. to be closer to American customers? Yeah,
1: well, it's, uh, you yeah. know, GM does have joint ventures in China, and they're making small cars, very small cars in China, smaller than uh, the American market seems to want, even mm-hmm. with uh, Current, uh, you know, this recent energy blip. Right. Uh, so, sure, they could bring cars from China. Um, that uh, most of what would make sense to bring here is product that's just currently not on sale here. So, it would be a bottom of the market uh, range extender. Um, but look, my expectation on that is that uh, not as much as you might think is going to happen as quickly as you might think. That uh, the Chinese companies are now pulling back that this deal with uh, Brickland to uh, mm-hmm. sell. Uh, cars in the States seems to have uh, always be two years away from actually happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil Murtaugh is a terrific guy who was head of GM China and then uh, lost out in the race to the top at GM and is now the strategy director for SAIC, that's Shanghai Auto Industry Corporation. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually just announced a couple of days ago that they are not coming to the States, that they've thought about it and just concluded that they will be very busy, thank you very much, in China for some years to come. And it's just not, uh, what what's the point? Um, you know, that the Japanese at this point did not, uh, you know, talking about the independent Chinese companies, they're a long ways away from where the Japanese were when they started coming to the States, uh, you know, in the mid-60s. Uh, and Toyota tried prematurely, most people have forgotten, came to the States in 57, 58, and it was an utter fiasco. And then uh, Yugo, which was another, uh, you know, foreign-owned uh, do-it-ourselves uh, grassroots thing, was a mm-hmm. catastrophe, And the initial wave of Korean uh, product, uh, you know, there was a big boom in cheap uh, Korean cars in the 80s, and then it all collapsed in the 90s. And it's only now that uh, Hyundai's gotten back to where they were, you know, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So uh, the the problem with cars is that it's an incredibly mature product, and there is this magic line between what's a car and what isn't a car. And that line keeps getting higher that uh, almost any delivered defects uh, now are just unacceptable that you look at the whole uh, range of what's out in the market, and it's about 1.5 defects per car, as power judges it. And these are mostly very trivial defects. So that to show up with a vehicle with 10 defects, and by the way, not much durability, at a $6,000 selling price uh, will attract a few people. There are always a few people who just don't have any brains and will buy something that just has a low sticker price. Sure. And then you discover it has no resale value. And by the way, you discover it won't go more than about 30,000 miles. And so look, there are bound to be a few of those that come along. But I, I think uh, Chinese are probably 10 to 15 years away from uh, significantly challenging uh, the market here. And again, if you want to build cheap cars for the States, and you really need a car that is entirely in a cheap currency, well, I mean, good grief, go to Mexico. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, um, I, I, I just uh, am skeptical that you're going to see um, the the big Chinese invasion that a lot of people seem to be bracing themselves for. And by the way, just a final thing: by the time you could really get it together to try to ship a lot of cars from China to the States, uh, I'm just certain that the exchange rate is going to uh, shift uh, very dramatically, or there's going to be trade management.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that um, I don't know. I think you're crazy uh, yeah. to give it a go. That's where we are.
0: Okay. Well, I really appreciate your time and and sharing your insights on what you've been seeing uh, in regards to Lean in China. It's been really uh, interesting to hear about. So I really do appreciate you being here and joining us on the podcast.
1: Yeah, well, I would just say one other thing, That uh, just so people will understand, that uh, I uh, say we are equal opportunity educators uh, here at the Lean Institute, Mm -hmm. and we have actually there are 12 uh, Lean Institutes around the world. Oh, okay. Uh, We will teach anybody who wants to know. And I say, uh, may that company in uh, wherever that is the best student and does the most things right uh, win. I, I really, truly do think competition is good for people. Uh, so we view ourselves as having a Chinese institute for the long haul, mm-hmm. but uh, with very uh, modest expectations about the amount of uptake uh, we're going to have in the short term. And uh, so, therefore, it seems to me that's probably kind of a good uh, metaphor in China generally. Um, Great expectations for the long haul. I I do believe they will build a first-class economy. And, by the way, I believe that, uh, for the most part, we'll be better off for their doing so. That uh, The one thing economists really, I think, do have right is comparative advantage, as figured out by David Ricardo 200 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, actually, uh, for the Chinese to run a brilliant economy, Uh, is uh, actually going to be better for the world than for them to run a crummy economy. But I also understand that uh, the man on the street, uh, the woman on the street, just has a hard time quite getting their head around that. And uh, this is going to be a very long march. So we'll see how it all turns out.
0: Okay. Well, Well, thanks again. I certainly appreciate your time and your insights. Sure. Anytime. Thanks for listening.